This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we worked and the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. Welcome to our second annual month long of holiday magic, named after the now defunct cosmetics pyramid scheme owned by our shady friend, William Penn Patrick. I am so excited to be bringing you even more amazing content to keep you willingly informed and scam free all season long. Please join us every Sunday and Wednesday throughout the month of December for brand new episodes filled with the interviews, topics, stories, and history that you asked for. All frauds, scams, pyramid schemes, and cults all month long. Happy holidays, Hunbots and Hunbros, from me, Abby, and Life After MLM. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros, it's that time of year again. It's beginning to look a lot like a month long of holiday magic. This year, I am bringing you eight days of holiday magic. And the first day of Holiday Magic is with my friend and someone that you guys have been begging me to talk to, Sarah Edmondson. You may have seen on social that Sarah and I actually got to meet last month. She invited me to the VOW season finale in Hollywood, and it was so incredible. I got to also meet Dr. Romney and Amanda Montel. We had a really great time. There are pictures of all of us hanging out on social media. It was just really great. And it was this interview that even prompted Sarah to be like, hey, aren't you local? Would you like to come? And so I got to do that. It was really, really fun and exciting and definitely a perk of this wildlife that I have created for myself. And so again, thank you guys for helping me live my dream, a dream I didn't even know I had a few years ago. And so this month of December is all about me giving back to you guys bringing you fun bonus episodes, stories, interviews, chats, all kinds of laughs. And I am so excited for this month's lineup of guests. You you guys, for real, I pulled quite a few strings to make this month as incredible as it is going to be. And I cannot wait to share every single moment with you. So make sure you're following along on social media. I'll be sharing all kinds of fun stuff, as well as these chats and interviews And if you are in a position to financially do so, our Patreon is going to be popping this month. We have $5 and $10 donation levels, lots of extra Q&A from our guests that are Patreon-exclusive questions. Also, I'm going to be reaching out and seeing if any of our guests would be available to do some live AMAs over there. So again, if that is something you are interested in, you want a little bit more cult, MLM, scam, fraud content, this would be the month to join. You can come and go as you please. I understand that money is fluid and sometimes you can't afford. I get it. I appreciate every single cent and also every single like, share, comment, and really message. So you guys are incredible. Don't ever think that you are not doing enough. Just by listening to this message right now, you are doing more than I ever expected you would. And I appreciate it so, so, so much. So last year, the very first episode, we told the story of Holiday Magic. If you have not heard the story of Holiday Magic, go back, listen to that first episode. It's all in there. Because we do mention William Penn Patrick quite often. He shows up more times than I would like to admit. And the story of Holiday Magic is really interesting. So on top of incredible interviews and wonderful bonus episodes and MLM history and all of the things, I am also going to be sharing with you in the beginning of each episode a common holiday scam so that you can avoid it, learn something, and then maybe you see it on your social feeds and you can help correct that misinformation and maybe save your friends from falling trapped to some of these scams as well. 
There are so many holiday scams. I Googled like holiday scams because I needed to know where to start. And I got so much information. I actually had to narrow it down to the ones that I thought you guys would most likely come across. There really are so many scams. It's disgusting. I, I Anyway, I'm like, I make a podcast about scammers and I still, even though I know, I still don't understand why people continue to do this. So the scam we're going to talk about today, I felt was the most important to start with because we're still smack dab in the middle of our holiday shopping. And this scam is so common year round, but at the holidays, especially. And I have actually fallen victim to this scam myself. So don't feel bad if you have too. The holidays bring endless emails, offers, deals, sales, and bargains. So today we're talking about the fake website scam. I can hear your groans from here. Yeah. Be wary of suspicious advertisements, social media posts, and emails with links attached. A lot of times you may think you typed the website incorrectly or you clicked a link that you thought was safe to a website that you thought was real. But believe it or not, scammers set up lookalike websites to mislead you into downloading malware, making dead-end purchases, and sharing private information. By using professional-looking website design, these sites can closely mirror the real ones, so be on the lookout for obvious errors like spelling mistakes and typos, suspicious URLs, obviously fake emails, or fake phone numbers and addresses. So, how can we protect ourselves while shopping online? I have a few tips. First, use a credit card if you have one. It is the safest way to shop online because most cards will offer additional protection. So, you are at less risk if your card is stolen or you have to dispute a shady transaction. Other perks of using a credit card can include reward points, better purchase protections like extended warranties, price matching, and extra protection against damage and theft. Secondly, don't trust a website or an online vendor that you don't know or have never shopped with before. Always check them out before purchasing, even if the website offers a hard-to-find gift at an unbelievable price. In fact, especially then, do your homework. If you are uncertain about the source of a link, don't click it. Instead, hover over them and see where they reroute and make sure that that URL matches your expectations. Also, verify that there's a padlock next to the website URL in your internet search engine and that it begins with HTTPS at the checkout page. And lastly, you can Google the URL address and the company's name followed with the word complaints or scam you know, like how you find MLMs. Other than that, make sure that you are keeping yourself, your information, and your money safe this online shopping season because there is nothing worse than getting scammed during the holidays. It is too stressful to have to throw that extra burning log on top of your pile. So please, please, please protect yourself. And lastly, a little bit of a content warning. This episode is with Sarah Edmondson, who was a Nexium. Yeah, the sex cult. So we're going to be talking about a lot of heavy things, including sex trafficking and Keith Raniere, which I think just he deserves his own content warning in general. Um, so please use discretion. It is a great episode. It is an incredible, wonderful chat. I love Sarah so much, and I am so, so, so happy that I could bring this episode to you. In fact, I'm probably going to have her back because I have a lot of questions about Nancy. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. I am beyond excited to bring this episode to you guys. We have the amazing Sarah Edmondson here with us today. You might know her because she wrote this book called Scarred, or, you know, uh, she has this podcast called A Little Bit Colty, um, or, uh, you know, the HBO docu-series, The Vow. I don't know if you guys have been watching that, but season two just dropped. So we have Sarah here today. It is so wonderful to see you. I love your face. It's so great to see you. Oh, I love you too. It's been a long time coming. I mean, this since you were on our pod, like... A year and a half ago almost. Oh my gosh, it was, like, it was a while ago. I think it was like a, a year ago. ago. But you know, you were actually one of the first people I ever reached out to when I started my podcast because I was like, I wonder if like people will talk to me that aren't just MLM people. And you were the first person and you got back to me within a couple of days. You're like, I would love to. 
And yeah. here we are almost two years later, actually. It, it took, it took <laughs> us some time. It took us some time, but we're busy. We're busy and we're like big time podcasters now. So it's like you get a fine time to make this happen. Right. Uh, it is so great to have you here. Full disclosure, I started to watch Vow season two and my roommate was like, what is this? And I was like, oh, uh, this is my friend's docuseries. You got it. It's, it's great. And she's like, would it be fine if I started with season two or should I start with season one? I was like, yeah, no, we should probably start with season one. So I stopped it and we started rewatching it. So I haven't even seen season two yet. It's not, there's not that much focus on the MLM stuff, which is right. why I'm here today. Right? right. So I'm trying to think of like, no, it's, it's more about the Tourette study and the trial. Yeah. Um, it's less focus on the finances and the pyramid stuff. So first I just, oh, thank you. Um, My pleasure for being here, be here, for speaking, for being the inspiration behind so many other voices of women leaving these high demand groups and saying, I am not alone. This happened to other people and giving people that safe space to even speak out. My absolute pleasure. It's like nothing gives me more purpose than that, actually. So it's ironic because I think there's a lot of you know personal development in all, in all of our MLM culty shit, right? right? And there was always like, what's your purpose? What's your why? Which is like one thing that I've kind of kept in a not culty way. It's just my own purpose and not for like the building of somebody else's company. It's for my own cleaning up my mess and inspiring other women. And in a way that's, yeah, really fills that desire in me to help. And uh, yeah, it's a total joy to be here. And I'm, I'm so excited for what we're going to talk about. First of all, let's start with how Nexium even came into your life. I know that there is so much media outside of this that tells the entire story, so we can totally cliff note it. But okay. for people that are learning about you right now for the very first time, you know, what is Nexium and how did you get involved in it? Basically, I'm, I'm an actor. I, I've been in film and television since like for over 20 years. And when I graduated from university, uh, I did what many actors do and, you know, pound the pavement and get headshots and get an agent and all that stuff. So the reason I haven't talked about my MLM experience prior is I have family members that are still involved in the MLM and I don't want to alienate them and, and they're defensive about it. So I doubt that they'll listen to this, but <laughs> I had a family member who I was very close with, have another family member who brought her into a distributorship with an MLM and basically signed me up under her without me even knowing what I was agreeing to and started sending me product, which was vitamins, which I took Ooh. and thought were great, but I didn't know anything other than that, other than I was just getting these vitamins shipped to my home. And, I, and then once I had finished university and moved back to Vancouver, this family member was like, you could have a, you know, the side hustle. And basically I kind of dabbled in it at first and then went to one of the big conventions and didn't get super far, but far enough that I got a lot of the sort of personal development sales training that made me later, the reason I'm telling this, a good recruiter for Nexium because I'd already learned some of the staples about like you just need to find two people and then you train them and they bring two people. It was like a very similar, it was a familiar thing for me because of my brief foray in this other company. So needless to say, I was, I'd already had that. I'd learned how to give a presentation and like to go for coffee and to isolate, you know, what their want was and to show them how this business could help them in their lives Ultimately, like I liked the products, but I couldn't fully get behind it. And I was sort of dabbling in that as a side hustle to my acting when <laughs> I was in a relationship that I was struggling with. My acting career wasn't where I thought it should be. Part of me didn't really want to be carting vitamins in the back of my car and, you know, protein powders and things like that. I just, it, I think internally part of it felt kind of icky you know, and I didn't really know why. And ultimately, as you know, it always comes back to like that being my limitation. I'm not like fully on board of the products or whatever. So in this time, I was also a seeker. I was also, um, you know, reading Celestine Prophecy and doing Artist's Way with my acting girlfriends. Long story short, my boyfriend at the time was a filmmaker. He His film got into a festival that was called the Spiritual Cinema Circle Festival at Sea. And it was on the cruise where Mark Vicente, the director of What the Bleep Would Be, speaking and be the guest of honor. Now, this is a very long story. I'm going to try to cliff note it for you. Long and short of it was, it's like, I'm going to go on this cruise. I'm going to be with a bunch of really cool spiritual filmmakers. I don't want to make TV shows about vampires and do beer commercials. I want to make media that shifts consciousness. Foreshadowing for what I'm doing now. Okay. Okay. So then I'm like, I'm going to find my purpose. And I meet Mark and we hit it off. And ultimately I wanted to make movies like What the Bleep and do more meaningful work in the world. 
he didn't really have to tell me much. He told me he'd just taken a seminar. I'd done a lot of other personal development stuff that seemed, you know, above board, didn't research it. And it just happened that was a, there was a first five-day training in Canada that some, some people were putting together. And I jumped in. I was just about to turn 28. I was really looking for something. It was very much right place, right time. This is in my book, and I don't always talk about it, but it's important to note that I probably would have not, I probably wouldn't have signed up just because of, you know, I liked Mark, but then I was like, you know, hemming and hawing. But there was another woman on the cruise who was chasing me to sign the paperwork because there was a 48-hour discount. It went from 2700 oh. to 2160 or whatever. I like discounts, but I don't like being pressured. And this is one of the red flags that I now know. People say, what are the red flags? Like if I'd known how these things work, I would have said, I feel pressured. And you're using scarcity mentality to try to get me to sign up. And I'm sure it'll be there down the road if I still want it. Thank you. But I didn't know that red flag and I signed up. And then just before the training, I actually tried to get my $500 deposit, my money back because I'd gotten nervous. Later, I was trained. This is why we do the 48-hour thing because you want to capture people in the moment of excitement. You want to get them to pay when they are not Googling and not talking to their spouse and getting doubts. You, you want to get them to commit when they're excited and get them locked down. <laughs> right? That's absolutely the same with MLM. I mean, that's why one of the things that we've always talked about that I think MLM should adopt is like a, a period of like you, you have to like a waiting period before you join, like to let all of that excitement die down before you sign on the dotted line. But they don't want that because right here, I mean, it's, it's proof that it works. Totally proof that it works. And I had a conversation with somebody who ended up later training me in the bulk of what I learned as a salesperson, which came later, but she got me on the phone and I was like, look, you know, I'm an actor and I have to be available for auditions. And she said, how, how long do you want to live this way? Do you want to be waiting for your agent to call your whole life? Or do you want to be the master of your own ship? And that really worked for me because I did not want to be doing that anymore. But I, yeah, I tried to get my money back. I couldn't get my money back. She convinced me to do it. My first five day was really, I mean, I was partly open because I wanted to work with Mark and I trusted him and he said it was amazing. And I was also partly very, very skeptical and very much like, I, my parents are therapists. What are you going to teach me? And I was really thrown off by a lot of the things. I think I talked about this in the vow where it's like Nancy's eyebrows and the bad power suits. It was tacky. I mean, it was not in a nice aesthetic. How many times in those five days did you think about like maybe not coming back the next day? Oh, like all the time. Like I, I would be sitting in training in the training and being like, if I leave now, like if, and, and this is the thing that they were, they were so good at as they preempted a lot of this. They said, you're going to be uncomfortable, no pain, no gain. We're going to work on your shit. So when you feel that urge to leave, to bolt, come talk to one of us. So anytime I felt that I would, sometimes I suppressed it because I also had already agreed that successful people work through their shit. So if I leave, I'm not successful. Like the, it was called double binds, which I'm sure you're familiar with double binds to keep me in there were rampant, rampant. And and we later learned that Nancy's intro video is full of them. They're just, they're just like double binding you from the beginning to stay, to be open. Because if you're not open, then you're skeptical. And that means you're a negative person. Like there's all these things that set us up to be compliant, obedient, and um, to not leave. It, it is true. And I'm sure you know this now that you can um, cause you had Dr. Stephen Hassan on, right? Your podcast at some point. Um, he hasn't come on, uh, yet, but I've been on his. That's right. That's right. You were on his. Okay. So, um, you can indoctrinate someone into a new belief system within three days. So by, by the end of the third day, I was like hooked. I was like, this is amazing. Cause truthfully, there was a lot of personal development, therapeutic stuff that occurred in that short time period that it gave me enough ahas or integrations as they called in, in Nexium or ESP. It was at the time, not Nexium executive success programs. You also had Mark as a friend. And when you said things like that to him, like, Hey, this is weird. He reiterated, Oh, I thought it was weird too. Yes. It's better. You got to stick with it by the third, fourth days where you really have your breakthrough. Right. And, and this is a term that I'm, I'm sure, I don't know if you use the same term, but they, we learned it later called feel felt found right? Oh yeah. I, I know how you feel. I felt the same way, but what I found was, so yeah, no, he totally said that. And I was assured that it was going to be okay. And I, I have to admit, yeah. I did this for many other people for many years about everything. Like, oh, you think the sashes are weird. I totally get it. Cause it was true. I thought the sashes were weird at first too. But what I found was their representation of your growth and I think you'll find that. So I, I was got really good at alleviating everybody's concerns that I had had because truthfully, I had had the concerns and then the, the concerns went away once you're brainwashed. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So Nexium, 
was a little different of an MLM than other MLMs. Like it didn't really have a product like a lipstick, like Mary Kay or leggings like LuLaRoe. Talk us through sort of what Nexium was. And then sure. we're going to talk a little bit about Keith after. Yes. So in some ways, you're right. It's very different. In other ways, it's exactly the same because the product really was the the courses. I One of the things that was a big red flag for me is because I decided I wanted to go up the straight path. So what, let me back up for a second. There's what we thought Nexium was and ESP was and then what it actually was. So what we thought it was, it was a personal professional development program that had a martial arts system of measurement that you could go up this, they called it this ladder, this ranking system of growth. And with every jump in color. So those started with a white as a student, just like in karate or judo or taekwondo. Then you become a coach, which is yellow. Then you become an orange, which is uh, proctor. And then green is senior proctor and blue is counselor and purple is senior counselor and so forth. Just like, you know, all the levels that they have in MLM, believer, crystal, whatever, blah, 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 ruby, diamond, extravaganza. Special princess unicorn. Yeah. Right. All those things. So that really appealed to me because I was an actor where it wasn't measurable. You could do all the things and you could not get the part or you could like get the part for not doing anything. And it was just like, I really like this measurable concept. So I was hooked. And every every jump in rank was measuring how much curriculum you'd taken and how many people you had brought in. Like for example, to get to your yellow, to be a coach, all you had to do is bring in two people. That was it. And finish the 16 day to finish the 16 day and bring in two people. Then you could coach. Then you could sit in front of other people and ask them about their, their lives. Like it was crazy. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Later in my time there, you had to take like a test to make sure that you understood the concepts. But right at the beginning, that's all you needed to do. So bring in two people. And then to get to Proctor, you had to grow those two people to also become coach and have 17 people total. So there, every step of the way, you had a certain number of requirements for, for what you had to build beneath you. Sound familiar? Uh, yeah. I'm like, that's a pyramid scheme, Sarah. Yeah. You're describing oh, a pyramid right. scheme. <laughs> to, which, to which I go, um, but, this, how is, but this is an MLM. No, because MLMs are inherently unethical. And this was started by Keith. So this is an ethical business organization. It's not an MLM or a pyramid because those are unethical. These, this is ethical. I feel like <laughs> one side of Keith's coin is 
MLMs are unethical, but then the other side is I've been banned from ever participating in them. We can't call oh, this yeah. that. You nailed it. This happened before my time, but he had a company before Nexium called Consumers Byline International, CBI, which was before Sam's Club and Costco were really a thing. And like, I want to say late 80s, early 90s. I'm not, I actually don't know. I'm not an expert on this, but he got banned, as you know. Because it was a pyramid scheme, but it was it was huge. It was like this like this huge company that grew overnight. I want to say like millions or billions. I don't know. I don't know the numbers. You could research it, but he got banned, yeah. and we we had heard that he'd gotten banned because he was too threatening in a state where I don't know, like the senators were also involved with Sam's Club or some bullshit. Like it was all just a conspiracy for like, and he was just a victim to the legal system. Yeah, I mean, I am going to do a little bonus episode about Keith so people have a little bit more background. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, this guy has been a scammer his whole life. And yeah. he's been involved in MLMs, pyramid schemes, and these type of scams his whole professional life. Yeah. Uh, during the late 1980s, this is according to his Wikipedia. So during the late 1980s, he was fascinated by not only Amway, which he was, I believe he was also a member of Amway or, or yeah, an he IBO was. in Amway. He was fascinated by Amway. Scientology, which as you're talking about going up the stripe path, I'm like, is this just the bridge to total freedom? Very much. And then neuro-linguistic programming, which we all know. I mean, maybe we don't all know, but those that do know and have watched The Vow and everything know that Nancy Salzman, who's also involved in Nexium, was an expert in neuro-linguistic programming. But by 1990, Keith had founded his own MLM consumer byline, like you just said. And the operations were restricted three years later when the company was investigated by 20 different states, not just one, 20. Okay, there you go. Yeah. And um, the same year, New York State filed a lawsuit alleging that the organization was a pyramid scheme and it was shut down by September of 1996 by the Attorney General of New York. Um, after at this point, it had now been investigated in over 25 states. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. But Keith is just a victim because he's so ethical and the world is not ready for his ethics. Just so you know, that's what was actually happening. <laughs> <laughs> right. He had to sign a consent order that permanently banned him from promoting, offering, and granting participation in chain distribution schemes or pyramid schemes or right. MLMs or whatever. And he had so, to pay a $40,000 fine. Right. So this is why his name is not on anything in the company. Every part of the company is. So that's why he found Nancy to be the president of the company. And he was called the Vanguard, which is the philosophical founder. So he's wow. not, he didn't start it. He was just, his words inspired the company. So he found a loophole to, to just to do it again. So, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Like when we start digging into these scammy people and you really see who they're connected to and how they're connected and what they've done and what they do to stay in the shadows. It's wild. Yeah, it's really wild. So, so it was a personal and professional development program that offered courses to help you with every aspect of your life. Like when I was in it and I was a recruiter. So just a quick tangent on that. I didn't join this to become a recruiter. I did it for my own personal development and helped me with my own relationship with my my boyfriend at the time and to get over my acting stuff and to, also to be less controlling. Like that was something I knew that I was struggling with. Some other, you know, personal things that I wanted to address. But by the end, one of the things that was offered to me is that if you bring in three people, you get your entire tuition back. So because I kind of had convinced my boyfriend at the time to join with me, that was one, they put him under me. So I only had to find two more. One of them was my mother and the other one was Nikki Klein, who was in oh. season two of The Vow and she's still loyal to Keith. And that's a separate, yeah, a separate Nikki story. Klein, wow. Nikki Klein. Yeah. So those were, so I got my money back and then I used that money to continue on with the curriculum. And by the time I'd finished my 16 day, I told so many people about it. They're like, well, if you refer six people to the five day, you can start earning a commission. That really appealed to me because I was super broke at the time and I knew that I was good at sales. And even before I had done the other MLM, my whole life, I was very entrepreneurial in a, not like a real entrepreneur way, like a, like, like a hustler. Like I would do garage sales and like for selling, uh, it was like this thing called Rainforest Crunch when I was in 10th grade. It was like a, it was called Rainforest, maybe it was a bar and we sold it like Girl Scout cookies and I sold the most. Like that's just the kind of thing that I did. I don't know if, if it was... I don't know how I became that way because my parents aren't really like that or my network or I'm just a social butterfly or whatever. I don't know. But it it lent to me excelling in this in this way because I had, I had a lot of friends and I 
And I felt like they all needed it. And I was pretty passionate about why they needed it. Well, also, you're just like a really personable person. You're fun and you're nice and people trust you because of that. That's true. Yeah. No, I pre- and I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. I'm really nice. I'm going to pump my own tires, as Nippy says. But it, you know, and, and since leaving, I'm going to cut ahead for a second. A lot of people have said to me that in terms of friendships that I was able to salvage, which is not all of them, then saying, you know, you never pushed it. You weren't super pushy. You were just, you spoke from the heart. You, you genuinely cared, which was true. And that propelled me to, you know, have genuine connections with people. And of course, and this is like the downside, I think for all of us in MLMs and any kind of pyramid structure is that every single person I met was a candidate, right? And this is the thing that's been the, the best part of healing and my freedom is I can meet someone and not be trying to recruit them into something and to funnel them into this program or another program. Because by the, by the end of my 12 years there, there was multiple programs. It was a parenting program, an acting program, a physical program that was like a weird yoga, Pilates, emotional dance class that was bizarre. And and so I'd meet people. And ultimately, I always thought the five day was a good place to start. But I was always like trying to figure out what they were struggling with and how our curriculum could help them, which always made me have an ulterior, well, I thought it was a good motive, right? But I still had that. And to to not have that anymore is such a freedom. Absolutely. Just like not turning your friendships into business transactions. Yes. Yeah. How many people do you think that you recruited in your 12 years in Nexium? So I don't have access to the the computer system anymore, but from, from what I pulled beforehand, and this is something that like when things were good, they used to brag about me and sort of like, I was like, I was a golden poster child for this company. I say company because we thought it was a company air quotes that in my organization, in terms of the people that I had recruited and that they had recruited and that they had recruited, there was about 2000. So that's like wow. almost a 10th of the whole company. Of those, I mean, many of those people I didn't even know because they were all over the world, but I knew that I personally, oh, actually, I'd only personally recruited like, I don't even know, like less than 80 in terms of my directs. We called, we called it a direct enrollment. And then I later became what's called a field trainer, which was that I was then helping other people become salespeople like I'd become. So I was one of the few field trainers. There's like, I don't know, 10 of us maybe in the company. And we were then responsible for building salespeople for which I only ever had like two or three at a time because it was a really hard thing to do, which was to to become a salesperson. You had to bring in six people doing a five-day within six months. So that's basically one five-day training a month. And then you had to maintain that. So if you didn't enroll somebody that month, you had some time to catch up. But it was it was something that like not many people were ever able to obtain. You basically become the recruiter for the recruiters. Yes, yeah. So then I then I was sent in to help those salespeople close their people. So I I did bring in other people beyond those eighty, but they weren't my was called my direct. Like they didn't go under me. I wasn't their sponsor, right? I was helping them close. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. I- <laughs> 2000 people at 2000. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the approximate number that from what we've, what we've gathered, I'm not proud of that. Like there was a time when I was proud of that, but that's partly why I'm so loud on this other side of, of trying to expose it because I was so loud about Keith being the most noble humanitarian in the world, which by the way, little sidebar to defend myself, I somehow that wasn't my main part of the pitch. Like many people were so gaga as we all know now over him. I wasn't for me, it was more about like the program and the tools and how you could evolve your limiting beliefs and upgrade the software of your metaphorical computer system. And this was, these were the best tools we'd ever seen and they were so efficient. And the fact was, is that Keith, we didn't know this at the time, had stolen from all these modalities and repackaged a course that helped you work through a ton of shit if you were open. Like in a therapy, basically it's like, you know, 10 hours of therapy for five days in a row, you're going to work through stuff if you're open. Like you're going to face stuff. You have to. So wow, yeah, people would go through it. I watched friends go from like, this is bullshit. And like, this is totally weird to, on the end of five days going, this is incredible. Like I want to bring this to my country. Or I want to bring this to my company or I want to like, how do I, how do I help you grow? Wow. So, yeah. I mean, you were in for 12 years and through those years, this, this organization, which started out, well, you know, more altruistic than it ended up mm-hmm. trying to help people get people in along the way scammers got a scam mm-hmm. and Keith starts getting into some pretty dark stuff yes 
Yeah, I'm going I'm to say a trigger warning. There's a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode, but we're going to start maybe talking about Keith and some mm-hmm. of the things that happened because Sarah was there. So again, if you guys are, um, if this is sensitive content, then skip ahead or come back at a later date to listen to this. But we're going to be talking about Keith Ranieri and uh, the sex cult aspect of Nexium right now. Yeah. So the, uh, you know, my husband and I, Nippy, who's my co-host and a little bit culty, we're always kind of trying to shine light on this concept of the sex cult because there were tons of people that did a personal professional development program and weren't part of a sex cult. The sex cult stuff happened with the inner circle. It happened in Albany and it happened all around Keith. The closer you got to him, that's when the weird stuff happened. So a lot of people, you know, really ran for the hills when this all got exposed because they they didn't, they weren't part of that. You know, it was, it was the, it was the outer circle of the personal and professional stuff that was the pipeline for the sex cult. It was the, you know, that's how he got his fresh supply of women. And this is actually something episode four of the vow starts to address this because, um, which will air in our timeline tonight. We've, we saw it yesterday and that starts to address what he was doing. And Nancy speculates, and this is actually what we've been speculating as well, is that he'd been trying to, he'd recognize that women didn't always stay. He had this harem of women and people were sometimes would leave. And some, if they left on good terms, he wouldn't go after them. He, if they left with any sort of negativity or like threatening to go to the press or whatever, Nexium and Keith and Clem Rothman, his right-hand legal woman, heiress, billionaire, would go after them and try to sue them and drag them through litigation and destroy them using the legal system as a weapon. So we had seen that happen. I had seen one of his very close people disappear in the middle of the night. And I would ask where she was, Kristen Keefe. And they said, and they told me that she'd gone crazy and was living on the streets. And I was like, what? Like they were so, she did all his legal stuff. Like, how does this happen? So this is, I had started to see that women have been leaving. What we believe now, like with, with bird's eye view is that he, you know, he's a narcissist with a very deep core wound of being nothing. And his attachment to women and getting power from controlling them through sex was how he was able to keep going. And so he always, he, we counted as with Nippy and I could count up to 60 women that we knew him, that he'd been with in Albany in, in our time. And there was more men before us, obviously. And at any given time when we left, there was, he had access to like 12 or 15 women that were at his beck and call. How many so, of those women do you think truly believed they were in like a spiritual like relationship with Keith and it them. wasn't just like all of them? All of them. Yeah. They, I mean, he, what we've learned from talking to some of them who've left is that all of them were brought in. And this is how people were like, why Keith? Like, he's so gross. Like, he's such a schlub. Like, how did he get these women? You know, if you've ever had a guy friend that you don't suspect because they're maybe not attractive, but like you feel safe with them, but partly because they're not attractive, <laughs> I think. And also, I'm assuming, like I felt, I I had an intuitive thing to kind of stay away from him for some weird reason. I thought it was because my own lack of ability to be vulnerable or like something like that. Like that's what was put on me. But I think that some women got close to him partly because, I mean, we all respected him. I certainly respected his mind. I thought, wow, he's so such a genius, right? For putting this all together. And I think women got close to him under the pretext of he would invite women to um, start a new project or like a new company within the company. And he, they'd come to Albany and they'd like give up whatever they were doing back in wherever their hometown was, something I was never willing to do, to go spend time there. And then he would mentor them and he would take them under his wing. And then he would offer him them special coaching to help them with their relationship issues. And then he would offer this, you know, next step. So it happened in stages, right? With all of them. And wow. then, yeah, sometimes some of the women found out after they'd been with, he'd been with them for a while that there were other women involved. Some of them that was kept from them until they figured it out. Uh, and some of them, I think like knew from the beginning, like, Hey, this, you know, here's an offer, but I'm also with these other women. But part of the deal with being with me is that you have to be monogamous to me. So that was the deal. You had to be monogamous, but he, he was polyamorous. And everybody so, knew he was polyamorous and everyone was fine. With not it. everybody knew. So like you'll see in episode four, there's somebody who started a relationship with him. Her name is Vera Casperado. She's an actor from Mexico. And she talks about how she was with him. They were in love. He offered to have a baby with her. <laughs> he was basically promising every all these women babies, which is pr- one of the most disgusting parts of this whole thing, because he took away their childbearing years. Like these are women that joined in their 20s and left like in their early 40s. And there's some of them, some of them in the, like died in their late fifties thinking that they were still going to have children with him. Um, I, sorry, I'm digressing. So all of this to say 
I believe that he started DOS as a more formal version. And this was actually verified by someone who was in his harem earlier before DOS was a thing. He started DOS as a blackmail MLM. He was started that to use blackmail to keep women from leaving, to maintain the vow, the vow being a lifetime vow of obedience to their master, which was supposed to be in a women's group for your audience. When DOS was pitched to me, I was invited to a women's group, a top secret society for women where my master was going to be a woman and I would take a lifetime vow of obedience to her. I was invited by my best friend. So that part wasn't that weird because I'm like, is this is an exercise. This is like a game, right? You're my, you're my coach and I'm your coachee. You're my guru. I'm your disciple. So when Lauren Salzman, the daughter of Nancy Salzman invited me and listen, this, this part's complicated. I like to refer people to my book if they want to know all the steps of how I got in. There was a lot of things that happened. It happened in steps, in lifts, just like with MLMs. You don't tell them the whole thing. You're like, it's just this. It's just this initial investment. And then your investment's like, but really to go to the next level, you need to do this, right? Like it's the exact same thing. So there's so many lifts that got me to be, to agree to get branded. So this is where shit hits the fan. Okay, so I'm told that to be a part of the secret society, I need to get a tattoo. Something I don't want because I've never had a tattoo. I know People change their minds and I never had a tattoo for a number of different reasons. And that was a lie. Trying to figure out like how much of this to get into because you can get in the weeds in this part of the story. I want to answer your question. What was DOS? What does DOS stand for? Oh God, I can never remember. It's like Dominus Obsequious Sororium. We were told it was one thing, but we found out later it meant in Latin loosely master over the slave women. Okay. So every name that, that Keith had for his companies, there was like his own hidden secret thing. Like the fact that he's a computer nerd from the eighties and he called it DOS. It's uh, not the irony there is not lost to me. Even the word Nexium was, was a word that he made up. We found out later that it was derived from another Latin word, which has to do with Roman debt bondage, where you're, uh, where you're serving um, lifetime servitude towards somebody. And isn't Vanguard like a video game he used to play or something? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So he, he used to like throw these things in and have his own little personal chuckle, I think. But we found out from that woman who had gone crazy, who reached out to me when I left, she's not gone crazy. She disappeared in the middle of the night with the help of authorities that he had shared with her that he wanted to do this blackmail MLM scheme so that he could keep people loyal. So it, this, this has been verified. It's not a total speculation. It's been verified from some people that were close to him that he needed to lock the women down, keep them loyal and blackmail was how to do it, which he called collateral. And collateral was how we were how we were invited to even hear about the secret society we had to give collateral, aka blackmail. So many people gave nude photos, personal videos where they slandered loved ones, family secrets, written confessionals that would destroy one's career. to provide that even just to hear about it. So a lot of people felt like they had to continue. So this is where the course of control happens. It's very interesting because I remember the first time that I heard Nexium. It was in 2017. I had just left LuLaRoe. I was listening to NPR. It was on NPR and they were talking about how this Nexium cult had been exposed. And there are all these women who had given collateral. And I was just sitting there and I was like, this this is like LuLaRoe, but worse. And I felt the connections just listening to it on the news. And I was like, that was that even that was one of the reasons that I started looking outside of LuLaRoe and into MLMs and cults, because there were so many connections to LuLaRoe in Nexium that I was hearing, but also Nexium to Scientology, which right. I had already been fascinated by before I even joined LuLaRoe. And right. I was just like, Oh my God. And there was all of these things that were coming out at the same exact time. I think that was another one of the reasons where I was like, I have to talk about this. Like this is bigger and deeper. It's not just Nexium. It's not just Scientology. Like it's so much bigger than this. There are other people, there are other groups. This is bigger. This is so much bigger. And it led me down, you know, this whole path and all of that as well. I just, 
your story is so big. It's it's way bigger than, you know, an hour plus long podcast mm-hmm. episode. And that's why I tell people that they should absolutely read your book and watch The Vow and listen to your story because it's just, it's so complicated. It's I so guess. complicated. It is so complicated. And I, and you know, it's funny. I moved to Atlanta and I'm meeting new people and like, I could either be, oh, that girl from Canada, or I could be the girl from Canada who also got out of the cult. Like, and I kind of have to tell people because if they find I'm public now and the, and people ask me like, oh, what's your podcast about? Then I'm like, what cults? And like either if I don't tell them, it's super weird. You know what I mean? And if I do tell them, it's also weird. But I rather just filter out the people who can't handle it right from the beginning. <laughs> and oh I figured out, figured out who my friends are pretty quick. But it is very quick. It is very complicated. So and, you know, people want to know like, OK, well, how do I learn about it? I'm like, well, you probably either read my book first or watch The Vow first before you start the podcast, because otherwise you're not going to know what the hell we're talking about or both. Like the my my little story is also nothing compared to what so many of the women went through. Like you'll and you're starting to see this on The Vow season two. And for those people who were mad at Lauren, who brought me in and I was mad for many years, you see how she was abused and what Keith did to her and promising her baby and like why she joined DOS and why she was willing to lie to me. But anyway, get branded. They lie to me about, A, it's going to be a tattoo. Then I find out it's a brand. I'm not going to go into the details of that part because it's just, I just can't right now. But it was actually- yeah. even reading <laughs> the text, I was bawling my eyes out and I could separate myself from this is somebody that I know. Mm-hmm. But I, I seriously, after I read that part in your book, I cried my eyes out. I had to take a break. So yeah, a absolutely. It is- you are my hero, Sarah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it, 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 I obviously wish I had made different decisions in my life, but at the same time it had to happen for me to wake up. Cause I was, I was deep in, I was going to be in, I was going to be promoting next team for the rest of my life. And ironically, it wasn't the branding itself that woke me up. It was finding out. I don't even know off the top of my head. Like I want to say three weeks, a month later that it was not a symbol for the elements as I've been told, but it was Keith's initials. Keith Allen Ranieri. So we call him Allen, by the way, in our podcast, because it's just so funny. Allen. Sorry for anyone listening who knows someone named Allen, but like, or, I mean, but even Keith is just such a doofus name, <laughs> right? Like Keith, just, the smartest uh, man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh. I, I apologize to all the really smart Keiths out there. Too. Yes. I'm sure there's some very, I, I do know some cool Keiths. It's hard though. Um, Anyway, yeah, so I wish I wish that I had, you know, seen the red flags, but I had to wake up and I, that had to happen that way. And in some ways, I feel like it, nobody else w- would have been able to do what I did in terms of coming forward after that because they were so messed up. I never moved to Albany. I never had any sexual relations with Keith. Thank goodness. The people that did were so embarrassed and so ashamed. They couldn't have gone on the cover of the New York Times. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like I, I had to do that. I had, and also to clean up my mess, right? Like I had to, I had to, I think you probably feel the same way as, as a recruiter. Like you gotta, you gotta clean it up. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. That was, that was my whole reason I even spoke out at all was because I wanted to help at least the same number of women get out that I helped to get in. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The, the karma balance was. Yeah. yeah. You gotta balance the karma. Yeah. This is absolutely why we're friends. So all of this happens. No, you know, I don't want to give too many spoilers out. Obviously you get out and you have this brand and you figure it out and you wake up, but you also, for those that have read the book and watched the vow, you meet Nippy through all of this, who is your now husband. And we know in cults that the first thing they want to do is separate you from the people that love you in the cult. So what happened when you let Nippy know everything that was going on? What was his reaction? Well, actually I didn't, I, what had happened is that, and this is in the book too, Mark Vicente, my business partner, the guy who brought me in originally, who we opened the center with together, he 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 left. He said he was he was gonna and he left on good terms. We thought he was like wrote a letter to the executive board saying, going back to Los Angeles to pursue my film and goals or whatever. It was very civil. I knew that something more was happening. He wouldn't tell me unless I signed an NDA. So I signed an NDA and he told me what he knew, which is that there was this some sort of secret women's group in Albany, which of course I already knew, but I didn't know that he knew. <laughs> and that the women were looking very thin and very sick and that he had heard 
from a number of people that there was sex involved and that women were being assigned in this secret group to have sex with Keith. Now that I didn't know. I knew about the branding, but I didn't know about the sex. In fact, up until this point, I'd been told that Keith was celibate. That's another thing that's part of the whole bait and switch of this scenario. I'm joining a personal professional development program where the leader is celibate, but he is in a zero attachment to sex. He doesn't need sex. He doesn't need all the materialistic things that normal people need because he's so enlightened. So now I'm finding out that there's sex involved. I knew about the branding. Mark and I were able to have a conversation and kind of put together, which was actually a pretty accurate understanding of what DOS was. We didn't have all the information that came out in the trial, which was mind blowing. And that's came years later. But we had enough to know that we wanted out and that we had to, and eventually, very soon after that, we figured out we had to like help other people get out. At first, it was just like WTF, I can't, you know, we, I signed an NDA. So I had Mark tell Nippy because somehow I felt safe under Mark's NDA to protect me from my collateral being released because I had signed a vow. I had agreed to a vow of obedience and a vow of secrecy. So I was terrified of telling anybody. Mark told Nippy, Nippy got it. Honestly, he got it right away. He and I, because we hadn't talked about this, because you can't, you know, toxic positivity. We talked to a degree about things we were unhappy with with the company, but ultimately we were relieved in many ways. There were so many things that were inherently unethical. Like we hadn't been paid for certain things. It was just like, it was a strain. It was a, it had become a fucking drag. It wasn't fun anymore. And a lot of things, had, like the policies changed and costs had gone up, even though I was in it for life and I love the people, the company itself, I was like, fuck you guys. Like you're making it hard for me to do my job. Right. So all of that was sort of the underpinning. So when he found out that he was like, fuck this, we're out. Fuck it. Fuck it. Let's go. Let's take our kid and get the fuck out. And he was great. He's been, I'm going to cry now. He's been so supportive during this whole thing. I can't imagine going through this without him. And people always ask, like, how did we get through it? And like, you know, it's obviously been some big ups and downs and lots of trauma and challenges, but like he got it right away. He he was able to see what had happened. He didn't feel threatened, you know, like I had another man's initials on my, not only on my body, but like next to my crotch, like in the most intimate area. Like if, if anything was going to scare off a man, it would be that, right? Yeah. It would be Alan's initials right there. Right Every there. Time. Hello. Hello. Exactly. And by the way, I've had it removed. I've had uh, plastic surgery. It's Amazing. gone. Amazing. Yes. I had the whole thing cut out. So it's just like a very thin white scar now. But yeah, that's how we told Nippy. And we were um, on the same team pretty much immediately as soon as he talked to Mark. And then it was then it was figuring out how to get out, how to save the slaves, how to eventually go to the authorities. It all happened in sort of stages, which I think is kind of the most exciting part of my book. <laughs> the first two, first two chunks are like, waiting to get my next sash. And then it's been this like, and now I'm going to the FBI. <laughs> right? Like anytime anybody talks to me on podcasts or like media, they're like, tell us about your time in LuLaRoe. I'm like, but that's the most boring part of my story. Yeah, like, I know. Talk to me about the lawsuit and the witness. You know, like talk to me about the really good beefy stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's talk about that. Like you guys start, how long after all of this happened, did you guys start your podcast? Let me time frame this for you. I got invited to DOS in January of 2017. I got branded in March. We left late May, exposed it all in June. And by the fall of that year is when the article came out. So that was, that was 17. The, uh, the next year is when Escaping Nexium, which is a great podcast on the CBC comes out, which I was in, but not, that wasn't my podcast. And then the following year is when my book came out. And then the year after that, 2020 is, is when COVID happened, right? And that's the fall when the vow came out. So the vow happened in the fall. And by the following January, so January of 2021, when we were still sort of in COVID, like we weren't really traveling, but we weren't like locked down anymore. And the vow was over and somebody re reached out to us and said, I, I think you should make a podcast and we want to produce it. We're ex-evangelical Christians. So we get it. I was like, really? You guys want to have a book? There's another podcast. Now the vow and you want more? But I put it out to my social media that had kind of grown because of the vow. And the, the answer was unanimously, yes, people have more questions. And uh, this amazing woman who's like my virtual BFF, Jess Tardy, wrote to me and said, yes, you should make a podcast. You should call it a little bit culty. And I want to produce it with you. And I said, okay. I said, okay. So I, I commend you, Roberta, for doing yours on your own because we've had a team from the beginning. It started as a hobby. We paid out of pocket. We eventually got some sponsorship support, but we've been doing it for, what? what is that now? A year and a half, I guess. 
Almost and two years. Almost two years. Yeah. And this January, it'll be, oh yeah, um, it's almost two wow. years. And it's gone from a hobby to our full-time career. Uh, we've done a, uh, a live event. We did South by Southwest and who knows what's going to come out of it next. It's like a, a roller coaster. We've had some incredibly amazing guests. We've had some not so great guests because we learn, you know, how to not choose people when so, I mean, not, not only not great because they're still in trauma really is what it, what it was. It's like people who weren't quite articulate yet. And it, yeah, it's, it's been really therapeutic and very meaningful to me. Conscious shifting media. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's the same, except yeah. I started my podcast a month after you guys started yours, but it's the same. It's the mm -hmm. same drive and passion and need to, to right those wrongs and to shift that karma back onto the good side. Yes, exactly. It, it is an incredible podcast. And Thank I you. know a lot of my listeners listen. And if you haven't, you should at least listen to the episode I'm on it. I yes, yeah, um, absolutely. I love that episode. I have so many people reach out to me and go, oh my God, you were on a little bit culty. I love that show. My worlds are colliding. And I was like, just wait. <laughs> yes. So where can people find you aside from all of the places that we've already listed? <laughs> well, I'm personally at Sarah Edmondson on Instagram. And that's like Sarah Edmondson, like son of Edmund, in case you can't spell my last name, not Edmonton. Uh, Nippy and I are a little bit culty on Instagram. We sometimes do Twitter, but mostly it's Instagram, TikTok. We've just started and we got the hashtag I got out. If people want to read my book, you can buy a hard copy, but I also narrated the audible, which I think is pretty cool. So you can kind of spend nine hours just with me inside my crazy little head. That sounds fun. It is. Fun. I will put yeah. all the links to all of that in the show notes, but I've got some rapid fire questions sure. to round this out. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. What is one word that encompasses how you feel about cults? over it. That's two words. Sorry. <laughs> what is a warning to somebody who is thinking about joining a high demand group? Run. <laughs> Easy. Easy. <laughs> what is the worst? I usually ask worst MLM. What do you mm -hmm. think in your education that you've learned is the worst cult you've come across? That's hard because is it, it depends on who you define worse, but in terms of like the, the grossest, like the most disgusting in terms of children and magnitude and how many people they reach children of God or the family international is pretty, is like definitely top up there for me in terms of what they were able to do, but also the FLDS and, you know, Warren Jeffs and Arulan Jeffs and like the child brides and the underage stuff, like from keep sweet. Um, oh we have an episode yeah. coming up, uh, with Elisa wall from, from that, from that show. You saw that, right? Keep sweet. Yeah. Oh, both yeah. of those. Yeah. Both of those are like next level. I mean, I mean, obviously Scientology is terrible, but I don't, I don't know if they hurt children in the same way or maybe they do. I don't know. I haven't done that research. So it's all right. bad, I mean, it's like yeah. cold potato, potato, but yeah, yeah. children of God and ugh, the Jeffs. I mean, bleh. yeah. What is the hardest lesson that you learned in your journey through Nexium? The hardest lesson. Oh, I think there's something to be said about like the irony that one of the things I was always working on there was about caring what people think. And, you know, that was part of the person, my personal development journey. They called it like me disease. And I really had to face that to go public and not care what people think for the right thing for a principle. And the principle was freeing the slaves, cleaning up my mess and exposing this motherfucker. And that meant that people weren't going to like me. I mean, I lost so many friends in that moment doesn't matter. Um, there's people who can't read past sex called recruiter. And like, that's how they see me. That sucks. That's the collateral damage. So in many ways I've, I have worked through that. That's a hard lesson. And, and in some ways it's not, it's an ongoing journey, but it's, it was a, it's a, been a really tough and yet rewarding arc. So tell me the positive, the most positive thing from your time in Nexium. I know who I am. And I think you're pretty cool. So I like that. <laughs> I like you. you. You don't have to worry about cultists liking you. They're they're No one wants to like them anyway. No, no, I appreciate that. I, you know, and I, I, I like myself. I can put my head on the pillow knowing I did the right thing. I mean, I made some mistakes, missed some huge red flags and uh, I feel good about myself now in the best way that I can. And that feels good. So I know I said I was done with questions, but one last one for anybody sure. listening, anybody right now from, from someone who saw it and is a, a bad ass, 
give a piece of advice to somebody who's sitting right now listening to this, who might be in their MLM or might be in some sort of thing that wants to speak out and isn't ready, but um, give them some inspiration. I would say that if they want to speak out and there's some downside, like try to figure out what that is. The upside for me has always been so much more rewarding than all the downsides. Uh, but also ask yourself truthfully, like, do you have energy? Because it is incredibly draining and can take a real toll on your well-being and on your family. Like I think for Roberta and I, it made sense to do it because our roles in the company, it's a personal decision. I would never tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do, but if they do decide to do it, do it with the help of a therapist, make sure you get healed. I'd say first, I made the mistake of like healing on camera, which was maybe not the best order of events, but it's something that you've got to be really clear on why you're doing it as well. Cause it's, it's a lot. How's Thank that? you so much. Perfect. As always, you are so wonderful. I am so proud to call you a friend. You are just such an inspiration, Sarah. I really, really appreciate you coming and spending your morning with me today. It's been a joy and long overdue. And hopefully we'll get to see each other in LA next week and hug it <gasps> out. Yeah. I'm so, so down for that. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Thank you.